talking to you about foolproofing your life, and uh, I, t I titled this, Wise Men Don't Do It. Uh, when we think of some of the qualities, this is in your notes, when we think of some of the qualities of a fool, what do they remind you of? So uh, when, I'm, when I'm saying the qualities of a fool, when the Bible uses the term fool, um, it gives some descriptions of what a fool is like. For example, a fool is self-centered. A fool quarrels. A uh, fool doesn't know when to shut up. Uh, a fool is difficult to correct. You can't correct a fool. Uh, a fool has outbursts of anger. These are all different things that the Bible talks about. Uh, the, the fool hurts the people who love them. Um, well, when you look at these, at these qualities, maybe you've known somebody who has demonstrated these qualities. Uh, maybe you've demonstrated these qualities at some points in your life, some seasons in your life. But I was thinking as I looked at, this, at these qualities, I was thinking to myself, you know, they, they really go with one particular thing, all these different qualities of a fool. And, and, and I, I, I was thinking of the people I've known in life, drunken people, people who have been uh, caught up and, and uh, just captured by alcohol. Look what it says here in Proverbs 20, verse 1 in your notes. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Uh, we go on there for uh, another passage in Proverbs. It says this, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Don't know where the wounds came from. Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. And your eyes will see strange things, and your mind will utter perverse things, and you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea. Picture this now in a, in a boat that maybe it's in the middle of the sea. It's a dangerous but you don't even realize the situation is dangerous. And then he, he, he amplifies it. He says, you're like one who lies down on the top of a mast. So he says, like, you, you, you've climbed up, you know, in the crow's nest on the boat, and you're, you're lying down there, and, and, of course, every movement of the sea is being magnified, pushed back and forth. Verse 35, they struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. When shall I awake? I'll seek another drink. My experience is that foolish behavior is often partners with drunkenness in life. Uh, I think of different 
foolish things you see in the Bible. For example, the story of Nabal in your notes, 1 Timothy 25, 36, says when, Nabal, when Abigail came to Nabal, remember Nabal, uh, David sends some of his men to, to uh, Nabal and is expecting to get kind of a little tip for some service that he's given. And instead, Nabal, he's drunk and he, he just spouts off all kinds of stuff. And David decides he's going to come and kill Nabal. He's going to destroy him. Abigail goes and intervenes. But look what it says here. It says, then Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. You know, he, he basically had been on the verge. What he had done uh, had been on the verge of not only him getting killed, but basically everybody, all, all the people under him, all the people associated with him, he didn't even realize what was going on. Some of the stupidest decisions that have hurt the most people have been made under the influence of alcohol. I think of the first drunk in the Bible, Noah. It says, Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk, and he uncovered himself inside his tent. Lot commits incest while intoxicated. Uh, it's just, it just goes on and on. Now, let me say this to you. I don't think that the Bible teaches that it's wrong to ever have a drink of alcohol. It's, I, I just don't believe that. Yet, I have to tell you something, something that I'm going to try to convince you of. I've made a choice myself to be a total abstainer. So as my wife, my children, as they've grown up, they all made this kind of choice. And I'm going to share with you seven reasons why I came to the conclusion that this was the best thing for me and the best thing for my family. Maybe you'll identify with some of these reasons. At the end of our time together, I'm going to ask those of you who have already made that commitment and those of you that maybe would be willing to make that commitment even today to take a stand on this thing and just say, look, while I'm called to ministry, while I'm handling holy things, I, I, I just am not going to make any room for this in my life. So we've all decided to abstain, and I want to share with you some of the reasons. In your notes, number one, I see myself as a person of influence. I see myself as a person of influence. Um, this next passage is a passage that had a big impact in my, in my uh, family. I'm talking about my wife, myself, and, and my children. In this passage, King Lemuel is being challenged by his mother, and his mother is speaking to him. That's what we're going to read, is his mother's words. And she's speaking to him, and she says to him, you know what? You are a king, and you have a destiny. You have a purpose. And she's trying to appeal to him. So let's look at what she says to him. Uh, Proverbs 31 says this. It is not for kings. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or the rulers to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. I, I, when I read this passage, I can't help but think of 
my uh, son Todd, my son Todd came here to Elam for a year and he had felt a, a call to business and so he went to Brockport State College. Uh, so here, you know, living on the campus, now, he's, now, he's, now he goes to Brockport State College and uh, Brockport is known as like a big drinking school and party school and, and that kind of thing. So Todd is there and he's just basically has made the decision he is not going to get into all that stuff. He's just not going to do that. He got involved with a Christian group on campus and, and, you know, reached out to the people on his floor and things like that, but he was not going down that path. And I remember when he came home one weekend and talked to me and uh, as tears flooded his eyes because he said, he said, Dad, he said, this week, he said, this girl came up to me uh, and uh, sat down to have lunch with me. And she said to me, I notice you don't go to any of the parties, you know, the smokers or any of the things that are going on. You're not going to any of those things. Why is that? And, uh, and, he, and he said to her, he said, well, he said, do you, you really want to know? And she said, yeah, I do. And he said, uh, he said well, and, he, and he, he quoted this verse to her. He said, uh, it's not for kings. It's not for kings. And he said to her, he said, you know something? He said, I know that I have a purpose in my life, that I have a destiny, that I have a calling, that I'm, I've been put on this planet to make a difference. And I just made a decision that I didn't want to have my judgment affected by alcohol. And so I've just turned away from that. I'm just, it's not for kings. It's not for people with a destiny. It's not for people with a purpose. And he said the girl that was sitting across from him at the, at the table just began to, to weep. And she looked at him and she said, you know, I could just imagine she had gone to school and got sucked into that whole party world and everything else. She said, I, she said, I didn't know you could live like that. I didn't know you could live like that. That you could have that sense it's not for kings. That you have a purpose, that your life has some restrictions on it. Not because somebody's taking something away from you, but because you have a purpose, you have a destiny, you have a calling. It's not for kings. She, King Lemuel's mother says, basically says this. She says, she says, drink is for two kinds of people. This is what she says in the passage. She says, people with no influence. If no one looks to you for guidance, if no one watches your example, if you have no sense that your life counts for anything, then she says, you know, that, that's for that. But she says, that's not you, Lemuel. You're a king. You're a person with a purpose. You're a person with a calling. You're a person with a destiny. You're a person with influence on the people around you. And then the second kind of people, she says, that get caught up in drinks, she says, is people who need to escape life. Terminal patience. People who have given up hope. People without a vision. That's what she says. She says, that's what, that's what drink is for, she says. Those, those people. And I'll tell you, as I look out at you in this room, this, that is not you. It's not for kings. It's not for people who feel some sense that they're supposed to be an influence on other people, that they're supposed to encourage and touch others and strengthen people in different kinds of ways. It's, it's interesting, in your notes it says this, all New Testament church leaders are warned about alcohol. Elders, deacons, 
lead women in the church. It talks about them not being addicted or enslaved to wine. And I think I put the, pa- the passages right in your notes. Every single one of these leaders that are spoken about in the Bible, every one of them, it speaks to them specifically about not getting caught up uh, by that. And I've kind of made it a thing for myself to use all of my influence. I've done this my whole life long. But to use all of my influence to do what I could do that people who were going to handle the word of God, that people that, were, that had some sense of calling or mission or purpose, to, to challenge them to this idea that you do not have to, you don't have to do this stuff. You don't have to go down that path. You don't have to, it's, it's, not, it's not demanded by life. The second reason I abstain in your notes, it says this, I see myself as a person created to handle holy things. Look at what Moses says to uh, the priest in the book of Leviticus. He says, do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. He says, he says look, he says, you got to realize when you're handling holy things, you know, that, 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 that um, temple, that uh, tabernacle, was a, was a holy place, and it was dangerous. If you had poor judgment, if you came in there and just had kind of, kind of poor judgment in the way you handled things, you literally could be taken out in a moment. And he says, if you're going to handle holy things, you don't, you don't want to have that. You don't want to have that influence in your life. And then we hear about the Nazarites talks about, he says, he sh- speaking of the Nazarite, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat uh, fresh or dried grapes. He says, basically to, to, to these guys, he says, look, anything that even gets close, I'm talking grape juice, I'm talking raisins. He says, anything that even gets close, he says, you need to, you need to separate yourself from this, uh, from this stuff. Now, as you're listening to me, you may think to yourself, well, what about Jesus? He drank wine. Uh, Jesus did drink wine. There's whole books written on the subject of was that wine fermented wine or not. But the reality is, Jesus drank wine. But, you know, the fact that Jesus drank wine does not give you necessarily permission to do the same thing. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. There are things that Jesus did that I can't do. Jesus was alone with the woman at the well a woman who like had kind of a risque background, but he was alone talking with her and reaching out to her and connecting with her. I can't do that. Jesus had a prostitute wash his feet with her hair. I cannot do that. Right? Why can't I not do that? 
Because Jesus is a better guy than I am. Are you with me? Just because Jesus did something doesn't mean necessarily you have what it takes to be able to walk in that thing and do that thing. You, you know, you, you, gotta, you gotta make peace with who you are and what you are. And there, and there are a lot of things, even if you think Jesus drank wine, it doesn't give you automatic permission that you can go and drink wine because Jesus drank wine. It might be, you know, just like the Nazarite, you might be called to something different, higher, for some reason, he, he, your calling and your purpose. Okay, number three, third reason. I want to be ready when Christ returns. This is what the passage says. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times. He's, he's, he says dissipation and drunkenness and, and being choked out by the worries of life, that's not being on the alert. He says you need to, in this day and age, you need to be on the alert. The alert. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Listen, I'm telling you right now, I can't just sit down. You know, I like to, I like to watch. I grew up watching television. I like to sit down and just flick the TV on and go brain dead for a little while, you know, and let the, let the TV play for me. But you know something? I can't do it. I have to be on the alert. Every, it's like every single show they got something going on that you're going, what in the world? Where did this come? How does this even, how, why is this even necessary for this story? It's like, it's like they're wanting to brainwash me in everything that's coming at me. And I got to be on the alert as I'm interacting. And it's just the, the, it's just the way it is. I got to be on the alert for opportunities to witness. I got to be on the alert to avoid the seduction of sin. I've got to be on the alert, and you're not going to be on the alert if you're, if you're allowing uh, uh, drugs and alcohol and, you know, this stuff to dominate your life. Okay, number four. I've seen the pain of alcohol abuse. I've known the pain of alcohol in my own family. When I was a, when I was a kid for a little while, I, you know, my parents, uh, when they were, they were messed up, you know, and alcohol was a big part of that uh, reason. I ended up in foster care as a result of it. I can remember uh, living in, in foster care. I was down in Pennsylvania living in foster care. And um, the home where I lived, the people lived pretty stable lives uh, when I was in foster care. Um, but on Saturday night, they would go out and drink husband and wife in the home there were some older kids that would kind of take care of the kids in the house and they would go out and that was like their every week it was like a ritual it was their thing and I'll tell you what when Sunday morning came I used to sneak away I'd go away the whole day there was like a there was like a park a factory I would leave and I would just go the whole day and I would just wander around I wouldn't eat wouldn't I just because I didn't want to be there in the morning when they woke up with their hangovers because they were so mean and so grumpy in that situation. I was 
beaten in that home. I was locked in closets. I was tormented in word and touched in so many different ways. And I know alcohol was a big part of why that happened. Alcohol-related auto accidents. Do you know that 50% of all deaths that occur, I think that, you know, now it's like somewhere 35, 40,000 deaths a year in the United States. 50% of them, alcohol, is related to that accident. That's just, you get on the, you get on the internet and you just put in uh, alcohol-related deaths or that kind of stuff, and it'll, you'll just be shocked at the statistics that, that are, are poured out at you. Let me ask you a question here in this room. If you were to just think about your family, I'm talking about now about your grandparents, your parents, maybe the aunt and uncle of your parents, you know, or, I mean, the, the, uh, their brothers and sisters, yourself, your family, your older, maybe your children, just that very narrow group of people. And I want to ask you a question. How many of you that are here in that narrow group of people have had some severe alcohol-related issues? Maybe you've even had a death in your family, somebody killed because of, because of uh, alcohol, some, something along that line. But how many of you that are here, just in your grandparents, your parents, your, your aunts and uncles, yourself, your siblings, how many of you have had somebody who has severely, I mean, th th their life has been dramatically, negatively affected by alcohol. Lift your hands up, would you? Look around the room. We're not talking about people you might know from school or people, I'm talking about just your family. And that's one of the reasons I don't, I don't mess with this thing because I've seen the pain of alcohol abuse. I've seen the pain of it. Number five, the risk is not worth the reward. You know, when you, when you go on a roller coaster, it's like they, they do everything they have to do to make it so it's safe, right? So you have a thrill but you know at the end of it, you're going to get off the roller coaster. Everything's going to be okay. But when you start messing with this stuff, you are messing with real danger. The fact is, you may never get off. It may never, you may never be able to step away from it and have things uh, be different. I, I can't help but think here about on campus. Let me tell you a story. Matter of fact, this, is, this story probably had the most dramatic impact on my children, on why they chose to become abstainers. Uh, on campus here, we had a, a family, the Martirana family, great, wonderful, powerful, kingdom of God people, just tremendous people. And they had a 16-year-old son, James Martirana. He went to Honey Eye Falls Lima School. They were, they were part of the campus ministry, uh, not the... Uh, you know, we have several different ministries here on campus. They were part of one of those ministries that was, that was here on campus. And all at once, James, it just began as a little thing, but he began sneaking 
alcohol. Now, what James didn't know, what a lot of people don't realize, is that there's a strong genetic component in the whole alcohol thing. As a matter of fact, they have what they call pilot-like alcoholics. What is a pilot light? It means that there's like a low-burning flame there all the time, and that if you add alcohol to it, bam. A person, a, a kid can go, like, uh, especially young people, this can happen. A kid can go, and you can research this, is what I'm talking to you right now. A kid can go from, from uh, just experimenting a little bit to, to being an alcoholic. In an, if, they have, if they have this genetic predisposition in a... It's like a, like a super fast amount of time. And that's what happened to James. James began kind of experimenting. He was like 16. He was in the high school. Uh, his family was solidly believing and wholehearted for the Lord. But James, he just got out there on the edge a little bit with his friends and this kind of stuff. And he, he, he started bringing a bottle. He had a bottle in his, his, uh, his uh, locker at school and all this kind of thing. Well, finally, they... They got onto him at the school, realized what was happening, and they sent him home. And they said uh, he just got suspended from school. He was still going to go back, but he was he was suspended for a, a season of time. So, so he suspended. He's at home here now, which is like a added challenge for his parents because he's he hasn't really repented, and he's you know he's messing around. So, anyway, he he continues to sneak drinking. And then one day he's got to, he's, he feels like I need to go get my, uh, my assignments from school to get ready. And so right here, right, 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 right up in this little road down here, College Street, he takes his parents' car to drive. It was, you know, it wasn't a, he didn't have permission. They wouldn't have given him permission. But he takes his parents' car to drive to the high school in Honey Eye Falls and then to drive back he's going to get his stuff and come back and in that process he drinks and uh, and drives and while he, he his parents find out that he's left that he's taken the car and gone they get in their other car and they go searching for him and they they come down to this road i, I, I don't remember the name of the road it's over where uh where the uh the the car uh fixing up the car place is the uh what is it? Yeah, it's, it's, but it's not this garage over here, but the, over on the main drag, the 15A north and south, there's a, there's a uh, you know, where they do body work and all that jazz. Over. Okay, all right, so anyway, so there's a road that comes right out. It's like a little four corners. There's a road that comes from the school, comes this way. So the parents come down. They turn down that road going toward the school. As they're going down the road going toward the school, their son comes the other direction on that road and passes them. And uh, so the father turns around. He's going to go catch his son. They, the son comes down to the intersection. They don't know exactly what happened, if he was trying to scoot away or whatever it is. He shoots out into the intersection. Somebody barreling down 15A smashes into the car, totally smashes into the car. He's, he hits his head severely. And, uh, and, and basically, I, I spent, you know, I was pastoring the church here on campus, and, and uh, I spent the, 
the next several days being in the hospital with his family while he died. Now, he, this, this kid, he was 16. When he was 16, my kids were like 8 and 10, you know. 12, you know, they were in that bracket thing. So they looked up to him. And here he's gone. Bam. We had the funeral, matter of fact, right here in this room. Kids, people came from the, from the, uh, the high school. The place was packed out, standing room only. I spoke at the funeral. You know, it was like one of the saddest days of my life to be a part of that thing. I, you know, I look at my family, I think to myself, I cannot gamble. I can't open the door not realizing that this pilot light thing might be exactly what's in my life and sees me. Now, when do you know if, how do you know if it's the case? You know when you find out it's the case? When you're, when you're in quicksand, getting pulled down in the midst of the situation. So uh, for me, I just came to a point, when I was your age, I just came to a point where I just said, you know what, I am not, I'm just not risking this. I'm not putting myself into this situation. God has a purpose for my life. I'm not going to allow this to, to happen. Number six in your notes. I will not be mastered by anything. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful for me. And having a drink is lawful. There's no problem. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything, Paul says. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be. And alcohol has the power to master me. It wouldn't surprise me to know that I could become an alcoholic very quickly if I gave myself over in that, in that way. And I've tamed it by not giving it access to my life. I just said, I just, I just guarded the gate. And I just said, I'm not letting this thing and then number seven, I am called to be an example, the seventh reason. Thessalonians 3.9. Not because you do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. He says, not because we do not have the right to this. He says, we have the right. But in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would follow our example. If I want you to foolproof your life, nothing speaks louder than the decisions that I've made to foolproof my own. And, uh, and I, I'll tell you, just honestly, I, I would love it if you would join me in this. If you would so value your calling, if you would so value the potential of your life, that you would just say, you know what, I am just not opening the door at all in this, uh, in this way. Pastor Mike, are you saying that if I'm at a wedding and they pour champagne, I shouldn't toast? Are you saying if I'm at grandma's and she pours a little glass of red wine, I shouldn't drink it? Listen, we're not talking legalism here. We're not making rules. 
I'm talking to you about opening your life up in an unguarded way to something, right? You know, I go to a wedding, they pour a little whatever they pour. It's fine, I don't care. Doesn't because I don't have that. I don't have to worry because it's not. There's no that little sip isn't going to pull me down. If I went to my Italian grandma's house and she poured a little red wine and said, "Oh, have a little wine," you know, everybody is going to all going to you know salute. Okay, I salute. Okay, good. You know, I don't care. I don't care about that stuff. I'm talking about your lifestyle, not some rules and regulation. I'm talking about making room in your life for something that has the incre- an incredible power of destruction in it. Now, I, I handed out a little card to you. And I'm asking you to... See what it says here. It says, I want to foolproof my life. Today, I'm voluntarily giving God the gift of my freedom to drink alcohol. Not out of obligation, but to foolproof my life. I'm making this decision today because I'm destined to be a person of influence. I'm called to handle holy things. I want to be ready at Christ's return. I've seen the pain of alcohol abuse. I'm convinced the risk is not worth the reward. I'm consciously breaking the iniquity of alcoholism in my family to the third and fourth generation. I am an example. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, you know, you come to Elam, part of our... uh, community commitment that we all make here together as we, while we're here at school, we all abstain from alcohol. I'm not, I'm not asking you to commit to that because you're already committed to that. You're here. If you, if you, uh, you know, if you're sneaking off doing this or that, don't worry about it. It'll come out and it'll get straightened out. We know that's going to happen. Okay. Um, God, God loves you that much. But what I'm talking about here right now, it's not going to be for everybody in this room. But if you have already committed yourself to abstaining from alcohol, or if you today want to say, I've heard what you said, the arguments are clear, this is, this is you giving up a right. It's not you you know, I'm bound by some law or some rules or something like that. It's you giving up a right to something. And if you are willing to do that, you'll fill this card out, stick it someplace uh, in your possessions as a reminder to yourself. I want you to stand to your feet and just lift the card up. And I'm going to pray with you right now. You, you may have already made this decision before in the past. Just just go ahead and... and uh, you know, stand with that, or you may be making this decision for the first time right now, that's fine. Just stand up. Lord, we thank you right now. As I look out, I, you know I would want to use my influence in the life. If I, if I was able to have a personal conversation with every one of these guys I would, I would say to them, this isn't worth it. Don't even, don't even go there. 
But, Lord, right now, as they're standing, we don't stand under some legal obligation. We're not burdened down. We're not judging anybody else. The Bible, we, we, I've already said it several times. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink. It's not, we're not judging what anybody. Every man's got to be true to his calling and, and his purpose. Every woman has got to stand for the things that God is doing in her life. But, Lord, those of us are standing right now, we have sensed a consecration. We've sensed a call. We've sensed that you are setting us apart in this area. And we want to obey and we want to respond. I ask you by your grace right now, just touch every heart and every life. Lord, those standing and those seated to fulfill the purpose and the calling of God in their lives. I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.